to episode 103 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Brent Nolan of AppAddict.net. Join us this week as we go through strange time loops as we listen to the radio in our gardens on our new MacBook Pros. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing pretty good. It sounds like a, a fun evening of, of sounds and time travel and new computers. And we'll start with those new computers. It's interesting because I thought Apple was going to wait till WWDC to announce new MacBook Pros, but they jumped the gun and they decided to announce them today, right here on May 21st. So if you've been in the market for a new computer, Apple essentially just upgraded spec bumps across their MacBook Pro line on the 13 and 15 inch. And so on the 13 inch, you can get the new 8th generation Intel Core processors, the Canon Lake. And then on the 15 inch, you can get the 9th generation Ice Lake, and that Ice Lake goes up to 8-core setup. And then they also improved the keyboard. You know, the often complained about keyboard, the butterfly mechanic. And so now they've, supposedly, this is the fourth generation, they've used a new material so less dust can get trapped and keys become unresponsive. Hopefully, they, they keep working on that to actually get it done. Yeah, it'll be curious to see how many months it'll be until all of a sudden we start hearing more complaints about this butterfly keyboard and people, another recall-ish sort of thing where they have a program to get it fixed. But I, I guess we'll find out. Hopefully they got it right this time. But yeah, that's it definitely seems to be a sticking point with these latest generation of the MacBooks. Uh, I'm curious, that 8-core that has got to be pretty expensive uh, for that 15-inch. I think that gets up close to like 2800 bucks right with that yeah uh, yeah, yeah. They, they didn't change the price points on anything so yeah it's the same super expensive price so just to get in the door on a macbook pro it costs 17.99 because they only updated the touch bar version so the non-touch bar regular function key models are still rocking seventh generation processors so those start at 12.99 but those aren't a choice if you want the latest and greatest that apple just announced Right, right. And I mean, and it, we, you and I were just talking about this before we started recording, like the touch bar, it really doesn't seem like they've done much with it. And it still seems to be sticking around because it's on there. But you have to pay a premium to get that touch bar, whether or not it actually has any real everyday functional use for anybody. I mean, I'm sure in certain situations, it's nice, but it never became this massive thing that they claimed it was going to be the new input entry method of the Mac. You know, we revolutionized the mouse, then we came up with the click wheel, then we came up with touch, and now there's touch bar on the Mac. And it's not like this new input level thing. It's this neat little inclusion that helps a few specific tasks, and that's about it. Right, it was there. Try to appease people that have been wanting a touchscreen MacBook. We'll give you this little area where you can do touch-type stuff, but then, I mean, it's so limited in the size and scope of what it is that you're not going to really get a full touchscreen experience. It's just this tiny little bar, so there's limited uses for it. Not only that, I've just tested out, you know, with a friend's computer, and the problem for me is that it's at the top of the screen. So you'll have, like, windows come up on screen, and you'll have options on the touch bar, but my hand's hovering over the trackpad, and I can just point to the object on the screen and just take advantage of what it's displaying on the touch bar rather than reaching all the way to the top of the keyboard. 
Oh, right, and if you're someone who uses a dock and uses a, a monitor with your MacBook, then it's even less useful because now you got to reach over the keyboard you're not even using to go yeah. and use this little touch bar. So, yeah, I don't. It's it it never really quite became what we thought it would be or what we hoped it would be, I should say. And uh, I kind of wish they would just dump it or at least go ahead and start updating the ones that don't have it, so that. Because uh, maybe at some point, I, I'm still rocking my mid-2015, I think it is, 13-inch uh, MacBook Pro, and it's it's chugging along just fine. So I have no need to upgrade, but uh, at the time when the time comes, I'm going to be looking for a less expensive option, and that's one without this touch bar. Right. So just to put the kind of prices in perspective, if you want the touch bar version, it costs $17.99 for the 13 inch MacBook Pro. If you want the non-touch bar version, it's $14.99 when you have the same storage space of 256 gigabytes. But if you can cut that in half down to the 128, that one's $12.99 without the touch bar. But again, those non-touch bar versions have the seventh gen compared to the eighth gen. And then if you do want that ninth gen, it's only on the 15 inch. And to get that eight quad core, it's $27.99. So $2,800 for that. 15 inch fully maxed out macbook right and we're also when you go down to that lower level without the touch bar you also the entry level only has that 128 gigabyte uh ssd drive you don't start at 256 like you do on the touch bar model so i i i don't know i, I know you somehow survive with like small hard drives but i need a lot of disk space because i just don't delete stuff and I need a minimum of 256. Really, 512 would be nice, but I have to start at 256. Yeah, I'm still rocking that 2011 MacBook Air, and every single year I'm like, this is the year. And every single (laughs) year I've put it off for like three years running now. Since they first announced that Retina MacBook Pro, I've been considering it, and I think that was 2016. And this year I think I might look for the 2018 MacBook Air pro with touch bar to hopefully come down in price because there's these new models because i don't really care about the difference between the seventh generation and the eighth generation at least for me but i would like to get kind of the touch bar and just like the latest and greatest versus the non-touch bar but again there's also that new macbook air which has the retina display now it's not as powerful but again i'm not running 3d architectural programs i'm not playing games i'm not really doing anything super powerful on my computer Right, right. Yeah, if you can get away with it, then you can save money and it's ultra portable. Then why not? Uh, I at the time I just went with the MacBook Pro. I, this was my first foray into Macs. Besides, when I was in college, when I had an old Quattro or Quadra Quadra, I think it was called. I don't even remember. It was like a, a a standalone, like big, long, flat thing that had a separate monitor. And finally, I went back to the Mac for this MacBook Pro and I've been really happy with the the Pro for and it does everything I need graphics everything but uh gameplay like if you're gonna play games on that 13 inch not so much that fan really kicks in because it doesn't have the separate video card like the 15 inch does but i for someone who's just doing web development and stuff the air should be plenty right and so i'm i'm still considering that air but then it's like oh well do i wait for the new air though last year's air is pretty outstanding but then also the new macbook pro the 13 inch is only 
three pounds, which is effectively the same size and weight as the MacBook Air. You know, it's like 2.96 or something. So it's not the huge difference that it used to be. Oh, yeah, I'm just shocked because I have a 2018 non-touch bar MacBook Pro 13-inch that I have for work. And I compare that to my own personal 13-inch from mid-2015, and mine feels like a brick compared to that thing. It's smaller, it's super light, it's tiny, uh, but you still have the same keyboard size, just the whole form factor really shrunk down, and they shaved off all this weight from it. And it's impressive what they're able to do, and... I know I always complain on phone saying, oh, we don't need to go thinner, thinner, it's going to break. Well, I don't carry around a MacBook in my pocket. I put it in a a safe bag and I put it in my laptop bag. So if they want to make that thinner, I'm all good with that. And I'm really impressed just with the few years between these two models that uh, how much more portable and lighter and easier uh, it is to carry around. And then, you know what, I think the biggest takeaway is that this was just a spec bump. The reason these aren't going to be announced at WWDC because it's essentially a new processor and fixing a problem that they don't want to publicly disclose as a problem in the keyboard. So they didn't have much to announce. So that rumored 16 or 16 and a half inch MacBook Pro, which would have the same footprint as the 15 inch, but they widen the screen. That's not going to come to fruition. And I guess there's no redesign this year for the MacBook Pro line or any Mac line. So that puts us off to 2020 at the earliest. Yeah, I can't imagine they would do this announcement, have people buying these. And then in a couple of weeks, oh, hey, guess what? We got this 16 inch that we're coming out with. Guess right. what? It's a surprise. <laughs> no, I, they're not going to do that. And but I mean, we just saw with the earnings that the the. PC, their MacBook and all of their their computer lineup, they're not as profitable as they or not bring in all the money that they were before. So it makes sense to not kind of unless there's a major redesign and something to really have a huge fanfare and really push it out. And they like you said, they have this whole kind of problem that they just can't get rid of with this keyboard that obviously you don't really want to have a huge announcement around that. So kind of just brush it out as a little a little PR thing, uh, send it out in a press release and uh, hopefully people will go and buy them. But you really don't want to highlight that much because of the problems around it. Right. And so that means WWDC is pretty much going to exclusively focus on iOS 13, the next version of macOS, the next version of watchOS, and maybe the next version of tvOS. And it will be completely software like that's ultimately their goal for their own developer conference. But this confirms it that there's not going to be any hardware whatsoever. It's all software. And they've kept a tight lid and close to the vest on everything regarding iOS 13 and macOS 10 point, is it 10.15? I don't even know at this point. I don't even look at the numbers. <laughs> right, so I know the, the success of Mojave, yeah. it's going to be like, hi, Mojave, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so I, 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 there have been some leaks of what people think is going to be iOS 13, but, yeah, it's going to be all iOS 13. Maybe, I'm hoping we finally hear about more about Apple Arcade, and maybe they finally release some more of the details around that stuff, or are they really going to wait until launch time in the fall for that? I don't know. At this point, Disney's RH announced, and everything's out there for all their competitors, so why not just get people excited, build up that excitement about your your service if 
you're going to do something big with it, like bundles or pricing or something to really kind of get people excited and ready to go. Yep, and WWDC is two weeks away, so that means on our next podcast, episode 104, we're going to go in-depth on kind of expectation, hopes, wish lists, all that kind of stuff to get everyone excited and prepared for WWDC in the first week of June. Sounds good. And so that's our Apple News of the Week. And so that means it's time for some new games. And since you mentioned Apple Arcade, there's one game that I think I would have probably saved for Apple Arcade if I was Apple. I don't know what goes into that, but it's called The Gardens Between, which comes from the Voxel Voxel Agents. And they're well known for their Train Conductor series, especially the third installment, which redesigned the whole thing and had this whole 3D, really advanced real-time strategy experience of conducting train traffic. And so The Gardens Between is a complete diversion from that game because this one focuses on pure puzzle ideas essentially where time isn't you know crunching down on you where you're managing things in real time instead you can actually control the flow of time so you can go forwards and backwards through time to guide these two little kids to essentially kind of go through their past and their future on these remote island versions of their memories. It's it's a really weird storyline going on, but (laughs) regardless, the gameplay itself, you guide the one who has like this little lantern and you need to collect these glowing orbs, but then there's also elements that will kind of, they're like black holes that suck away those glowing orbs. So you need to kind of deposit in these holding points and then pick them up later. And you'll need to go forward in time to kind of clear a pathway and then rewind time to then get the characters through it. It's all this whole time manipulation to create pathways through the level and make sure you have that orb at the eventual ending point of the level. Yeah, it's a really neat concept the way they've done this. So you have these two characters, and one of them is always, like you said, always in control of that light. They have to pick up the light in their little lantern. Sometimes they'll have to give it to these little robotic box-type things, and they kind of hop around the level and can get around these dark black hole areas that suck up the light. So maybe they'll jump the, the light up ahead, and then she'll pick it up further down the road. And then you have the boy, when he stops at these certain things, he can pull these little, they almost look like wind chimes. He can pull, or like a like a... like a clock or something you can pull this little cord and it causes the anywhere these lights are or the darkness to kind of close up and so that that's another way that you can kind of get around them but he also can hit these little spots where he can control time making it go backwards and then freeze it and then kind of start like make an object stay in this spot while that uh, in that point in time but then the rest of time all moves forward again uh it's kind of weird like he can kind of keep on manipulating time to set things where he wants them almost imagine like a freeze frame and then he picks up an object then moves it to where he wants it and then touches his fingers and then the time starts back up again but it, it ends up creating these really neat puzzles where you have to think not only in uh, dimensionally, like where do I want need her to get, or where 
do they need to go? But you also have to think in time where you like, wait a minute, I saw that thing moved over there. Maybe if I freeze it while it's moving over there, but then back up in time and get myself in this situ this spot, then I'll be able to get the light to where I need to go to unlock this part of the level. And it just, it starts really messing with your mind. You have to think of so many different things as you're kind of going back and forth within the level to get everything lined up just right to be able to make it through and and get to the end to move on to the next level it reminded me kind of causality in that regard where you can manipulate time independently of your character to kind of impact the level but then you also can manipulate time for your character so like you said the girl has the lantern and she can't really control time she's just the controller of light but the little boy can control time he can make sure that they're the two characters are completely independent of the time in the level. So part of me can't help but think of Avengers Endgame, where essentially you're taking those <laughs> orbs out of the timeline, just like you're taking Infinity Stones, and your present is now your past, because you're going through time and all that fun stuff. But regardless, it's just a neat concept to create a game out of where it's methodical march forward, and you have to really think about how the time will impact the level because at the first few levels, it's relatively straightforward. You know, the little robots that control the light always kind of go on their own and always help you out. But then as you go, you realize that their pathways might not only interact with the orb of light, but also those black holes. So then you may have to pick them up at different points with the level and they become more and more complex because it's always kind of this round and round the mountain to the top and along the way you're going to interact with these different time manipulation points lantern points and robot points right and there'll be areas that are foggy that you need to have light and then there'll be other areas where you need to have darkness so the fog can build you a bridge to cross so you're always having to think of new things and they do a great job of kind of introducing new elements as they go to build up the complexity without overwhelming you right away but then as you start to see these new things you're like oh i bet that's going to come up again and then yeah they just keep on layering things on to kind of make the puzzles more interesting as you continue to progress through the story and progress through the game and then there's all these like neat little things where they do really creative outside of the box i don't really want to give anything away but outside of the box kind of things where you have to think about something that you're like, oh, wait a minute, I wasn't even paying attention to that. I thought that was just kind of in the background and I didn't really notice what was going on. But as you keep on rewinding, going backward in time, you happen to notice certain things moving or certain things happening. There's like a shell game of boxes where they're coloring and painting themselves at one point. So you really have to keep an eye on where the different boxes are going. Uh, and it just creates some really interesting puzzles throughout the game as they start to kind of really layer these things on. It really does. And they just did an outstanding job, you know, to make it so easy too. you're controlling time, but all you have to do is essentially swipe forwards and backwards. And then to interact with any item, you have to tap once that character gets close to that given item. So it's really simplistic UI, but that doesn't detract from the more complex puzzle mechanics. And like I said, at the start, it's really interesting that this isn't saved for an Apple Arcade title. It reminds me of Where Cards May Fall, that upcoming game from the makers of Alto's Odyssey. It has a similar kind of design, really professional vibe going on, and more of that puzzle methodical idea. And just a release in May, just like any other release, it's weird. 
Yeah, I hadn't thought of it until you mentioned it, and especially where uh, the Train Conductor series were huge for iOS. Like, there was a lot of popularity around those. You would think the Voxel agents would be, like, on their hit list of Apple's like, we need to get these guys. We need to get them on our team for a launch title. And it is kind of surprising. The only thing I can think of is that maybe it's available on some other subscription service, like maybe on the Xbox, it's going to be on their Game Pass or something that kind of makes it fall out of Apple's rules of what platforms can be on. Maybe it's on Android. I don't know. I, if it, I'm not sure if it's on any other mobile platforms, but it works so well on iOS. Just be able to tap your fingers. You can flip the screen. You can play horizontally or in landscape, uh, vertically or in landscape mode. Uh, it, the screen adjusts, you get a little more of the scenery in, in landscape, but then you kind of get zoomed in a little more if you go to, uh, into vertical portrait mode. So you can play whatever way suits you best. And it's just a really well done creative game. I, I To have it so different really from Train Conductor is shocking that I hadn't heard anything about this really until all of a sudden it showed up on iOS. And it is just, I was immediately captivated. And the only reason I have not finished yet is because we played a lot of long games or longer games this week. And uh, there was a little more golf blitz playing. But uh, (laughs) other than that, I'm definitely, this is one, like I don't always finish these games. I am definitely going to sit down and finish this because it is just super good yeah definitely agree so that's the gardens between it's 4.99 it's universal and then there's luna strange it comes from the maker of returner 77 and that game was a more kind of like the witness style game but set in this more sci-fi alien space idea but that whole 3d puzzle adventure you interact with elements in the environment and so luna strange takes that idea and then really pushes it more towards the room mechanic where you're in specific areas and then you need to interact with cabinets and chest of drawers and pick up special items that then will be used in other mechanisms to unlock, you know, the path through the entire world. And so it's more condensed in scope and it has a really interesting storyline where essentially the main character is caught in a realm in her own house. It's not a quantum realm, perhaps, but her, a different <laughs> realm than where she actually normally resides. And so now you have to kind of investigate the room and figure out how to kind of help her and get her out. And that's all well and good. It's beautifully designed. It has a neat storyline, has a familiar developer, good prestige. But the UI, for some reason, I don't know what they did. I don't know how the translation works. If it's on other platforms, they tried to move it over, but it stumbles. Even though they have that Returner 77, which is really well controlled, the UI in this game, it's just frustrating and tedious where it's like the room. You double tap to zoom in and then you pinch to zoom out. But it seems like nothing you do, you always have to zoom in another level to interact with something. And you always have to zoom out another level to go somewhere else. You're always not at the right zoom level to be able to interact with whatever you want to do in the game. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like almost like it just wasn't tested enough or they kind of rushed it out or something. I don't understand because Return of 77 was so well done. And this is just really the UI really takes away from everything. And not only is it just that tapping around and always either 
too, zooming in too much or zooming out too much, or you try to tap over to an object and it jumps you over to the complete wrong area. But then they have this whole element of magic within the game where there's certain like glowing objects and you have to use two fingers and swipe on the screen. Well, half the time it zooms you out or it pans you around. Like it doesn't work. It, I, it more times than not, it, it's not doing the magic thing and it's not actually. I don't know. No one tested this. It doesn't. It really feels like no one tested it. And to really lay on to that is the first level. Your whole point is to get this book. It's the book that you see on the app icon. And I was playing through. I played for a good hour or so. I'm about to like do a couple of things to finish the level. Uh, and I somehow got exited out. Go back in. I have to skip the whole intro yet again just to get into the game, which is annoying. Uh, but I get in, and the book is completely gone. And a couple of the objects I picked up are completely gone. There's nothing I can do to finish this level now, short of restarting the entire thing and going through it all over again. So I they've got a lot of bugs in this that it just really doesn't seem like it was ready for prime time. I and it, But somehow it came out, and unfortunately, I think it's going to get a lot of bad reviews just based on these these issues right and then also so it's also it's for sure not magical when you're interacting with magical items but <laughs> even the mundane regular items it's not always obvious what you can interact with or how pieces that you have fit into things like you pick up inventory items it's like okay this obviously goes here but it doesn't it, it, there's no real kind of guy not guidance but necessarily like this doesn't go here or it goes somewhere else. It just seems like no matter what you try to do, the game is pushing you somewhere else. Or there's times where you're in the right sequence, you have the right item, but it doesn't necessarily lock into place. And so you're like, well, this must not be the right solution. So you go somewhere else and then you play for a while and you realize that, oh, that was actually the right solution. I didn't have it just in the very precise, proper position for the game to accept it. Right, yeah. So like it's not they don't make it completely obvious that you need to do things to some of these objects once you have them. So you like you can roll them around and look at them, but it's not immediately obvious that you need to do anything else to these objects to get them into a proper form in order to use them in the spot that you put them in and they go in and just nothing happens. You but you have to do other things to these objects, which is not always clear. I, in other games they make it clear. Like you you start to loop around, you can see things on the I can't imagine if you're playing on a phone. There's no way you would even notice this stuff. <laughs> At least on an iPad, you can kind of see maybe there's something there, but it's still not obvious. Like do a little glowing or little uh, well, then people might swipe their fingers on. Who knows? But do something to kind of indicate that something else has to happen with these objects because it's really not that clear. And you end up wasting a lot of time stumbling around the room because nothing blocks right to find something else because you're like, I must have missed something because I have everything and they're not going in. So there's got to be something else. And you just waste, end up wasting a lot of time. I mean, you don't feel like you're getting anywhere. And it just, I don't know, it feels like a lot of wasted time to build up, maybe it's to build up the, the gameplay time, because otherwise if this was too straightforward, you'd probably just fly right through it, or if the UI worked better. But, I, I don't know, eh, yeah, that, that's yep. it. 
<laughs> it's more frustrating than fun. If you do like this style of game, hopefully you've played the Room series. There's four different installments. You completed that. Try out the House of Da Vinci. There's a lot in this style that are actually good. Try out Returner 77. That's a great game that they made. This one just isn't it. So Luna Strange, it is only a buck, but there's better bucks to spend. Yep. And then to round out the week is Alt Frequencies, which is a really different type of game. It kind of... It's not really that comparable to anything else. Essentially, you have this radio, which, again, it's in a time loop, and you get to listen to a few different stations, and within those stations, you need to find specific clips that are going to hint at various conspiracies and hidden figures, and you need to record extra enticing clips to then send off to other stations. And it all comes down to kind of listening to the right sequence and then capturing it so it's just tough to compare it to anything else there's a little bit of golf club wasteland in how well the radio programs are performed there's a little bit of her witness in trying to find you know the right pieces within this seemingly unconnected uh, sequence of words but it's all by itself a different type of experience yeah, this comes from uh, Accidental Queens, who did the Lost Phone series as well, which were mm-hmm. very unique in their own right. And this one, yeah, it is totally different from anything else you played. They play, actually designed it so even if you can't see, you could play this game. Because originally when I saw this at PAX East, they still, in the build I played, had some physical buttons and controls for doing the recording of clips and playing back of clips. So. Uh, but now they've replaced all that with just swipe gestures. So that way anyone can play. You don't even have to see the screen because everything is all, any text that's on the screen is all acted out. You can hear it beautifully done. Like these sound like your typical talk radio station. You're like hot 100, like pop radio station, a college campus radio, a news station. Like these sound like your stereotypical these type of stations. And so, yeah, the story is that there's this whole overriding thing of some kind of a time loop conspiracy that's going on. And you're basically trying to do stuff to uncover this, find out more information and let people know about it. And so what you're doing is listening to these other radio stations and recording segments, and they'll kind of give you audio clues of like, hey, if anyone out there has questions, let us know. And so you know, maybe I need to record this clip. You heard this thing over in this other radio station that's a perfect question about to question this conspiracy. So now you've got to record that clip by swiping down. You record that one little segment, and then you come back, and then you swipe up to play it back, and maybe they'll say, like, we're taking calls now and then you swipe up and then it gets your call in there and plays that clip and then now the narrative that is looping around on that station changes to reflect your question that came in and they're like wait a minute what are you talking about what's going on and so it really becomes this whole story that you kind of help to uncover and drive by just simply taking audio clips from one radio station and playing them back on another which it just is a really different experience and it just works so well it's kind of confusing at first but then you start to get the hang of it and you see how doing this affects things and then you start to pick up on more and more of the the various cues and clues that that come from listening to the different stations and you kind of just get you're lost in there listening to what's going on 
but it's just a really unique thing that I think is well worth checking out, especially if you like kind of different kind of narrative experiences and something that's totally out of left field, like totally different. And then if you do miss something, the game puts you in that three minute time loop. So you can essentially skip around from the stations, but they're all playing in real time. So you might miss something just like a live radio broadcast. And so then you can decide, oh, I'm just going to focus on this one station in particular to find a particular clip or something like you said. But then once you do, it always opens up new three minute intervals, but you kind of dictate that story based on which clips you're grabbing and how the new different shows kind of develop. And they have 20 different voice actors, you know, participating to create this whole really immersive and authentic radio experience. Yeah, and one of the nice things, I don't know that this was in the build that I saw, uh, but you can double tap on the screen and you'll skip skip up to the next uh, segment in that same radio station you're on. So you don't have to worry about uh, kind of sitting through all three minutes. If you know, like, wait a minute, I remember there was a clip in this on this station that I want to grab and you can just keep on double tapping, double tapping to skip ahead. And I think you hold your finger on the screen that plays you back what recording you have. So then you can kind of remember, oh, okay, that's what I recorded. Yeah, I want to go and find a spot where I can send this in. And they'll give you clues if you're trying to upload it to the wrong station like oh well that's interesting but we don't really care about that maybe someone who's interested in this would care about it. so they kind of help you kind of guide you along so you're not completely lost but it's just uh just so well produced like those voice actors do an amazing job of really recreating these types of stations and the types of things you would hear that you feel like you're really kind of flipping through a normal uh, set of radio stations and it just feels natural and like stuff you would normally hear well not about time loops and <laughs> and that but uh it just feels like the type of music and the type of just vibe you would get from these different stations yep so that's all frequencies it's 499 it's universal and i think that's everything for episode 103 yeah that's all i got again This was a shorter episode, but stay tuned for next week as we dive into WWDC preview. And then the following week, we'll have a WWDC wrap up. So it's a fun time for Apple stuff. And of course, the App Store is going to be churning out stuff in the meantime. Yeah, I know lots of other games that are coming. So there's there's plenty to talk about. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.